When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, Buckeye Nation? Welcome into another episode of Land Grant Holy Land's Instant Recap Podcast. This is the first uh, all Kent State alum version of this, as uh, Chris is busy with work. So uh, I'm your host, Jordan Williams, and today I'm joined by Justin Goldba. Did I say that right? That's perfect. Perfect. How you doing, Justin? I'm good. I'm good. It's glad that we can get on here and talk about Kent State against Ohio. And uh, yeah, really I mean, into it. yeah, you thought we were you thought we were talking Buckeye football, but why would we do that? <laughs> Kent State, Kent State got the W. Sean Lewis is gonna, not going to be there after this year, so we need to enjoy the wins while we can. A hundred percent. All right, man. I guess I guess we'll actually I guess we'll actually talk about the Buckeyes, even though we know everyone here actually wants to hear our feelings about Kent State and how we're upset that Kent State wasn't good when we attended. Um, but you know we can talk about the Buckeyes, who has always been good. Um, Justin, what, well, I guess I always forget to do this uh, in the beginning. Ohio State uh, beat Indiana fifty-four to seven. Justin, what are your initial thoughts, reactions, feelings about what we watched? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a different Indiana team that we were expecting. But if you told me in August that Ohio State was going to go to Indiana and win fifty-four to seven. I would have been pretty happy with that. So I'm just still pretty happy with it. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, I mean, on the on the Big Ten podcast, I do. I think I had Indiana going 10-2, and two, uh, you know, right under. I had them losing to Cincinnati and Ohio State, challenging for the, for the Big Ten. I, obviously, this is not the Indiana that we got. But, you know, regardless of what their offense looks like, they haven't really lost anyone on defense, and they're supposed to be a defensive team. So putting up 44 in the first half, 54 total, even the backups, you know, Ryan Day got a little – he wasn't as aggressive, but uh, even the backups were moving the ball. I would say that's a that's a really good sign for this offense. And I, I don't want to take away from Ohio State because I do think Indiana is a good team. I mean – all of their losses have come to top 10 teams and every single one of those losses has been a close game where Indiana was either winning uh, really into the game or mounted a comeback except for this one. So Indiana is not as bad as their record, but 
if you're watching that game or listening to this podcast, you 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 would probably think that they're a pretty bad team. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at even last week, you know, Michigan State is a great offense. So it's clicking on all cylinders. They have one of the best running backs in the country, and they held them to just twenty points. That was a great game. So. Yeah, and they did that like immediately the next game after um, Michigan State had uh, was just I think the fifth team in FBS history to have a, a quarterback throw a quarterback throw for three hundred yards, a wide receiver go for two hundred, and a running back go for two hundred. So I mean, mm-hmm. they obviously have the offense, and Indiana shut them down. So I think you know. People are going to, you know, qualify this and say it's Indiana and say they're a bad team. But for anyone listening to this and for anyone who actually, you know, who actually tries to use logic when we talk about the Buckeyes, this is a good one because uh, Indiana is not as bad as they seem. And they're definitely not as bad as Ohio State made them look today. Yeah, and that's always a great feeling. And first of all, you know, using logic when it comes to Ohio State can sometimes be a little tough, but in general, it's always great when you know your team is making or Ohio State is making a team look a lot worse than they are because Indiana is just – they're not that bad. It's that simple. And they made them look – that defense looked like Swiss cheese today. Yeah, 100%. And the thing that, you know, I was a little bit worried about uh, – I wasn't as worried after the Michigan State game. Uh, I had been saying that, you know, Indiana has it in them. They're going to have a game where they challenge somebody and they, they realize, you know, that they're actually supposed to be a good team. Once they did that to Michigan State, I felt pretty confident that, like, they weren't going to do it two games in a row against against Ohio State. But going into the season, uh, uh, you know, even two, three weeks ago, I just had this feeling that, you know, Indiana was going to come in and have a, have a dominant performance. Not that they were going to win, but they were going to scare us a little bit. So coming off the bye week, uh, coming out with that offense, uh, outside of one drive for the defense, you know, really coming out and stopping them, getting sacks, tackles for a loss – really being dominant, that's a that's a major win. And for a lot of people, you know, that's going to legitimize the Buckeyes. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how, how you feel about this, but we have a lot of people that like to say, you know, it's just Akron, it's just Rutgers, it's just Maryland. Well, regardless of record, Indiana is better than all of those teams. So doing this against them, I, I'm not sure you can just – I'm not sure you can say it's just Indiana. Do uh, you, you agree with that or you feel differently? I completely agree with that. And like you said, it, it goes past just record. Indiana was 2-4 and four coming into this with their losses coming to Iowa, Cincinnati, Penn State, and Michigan State. That's They've had a brutal schedule to start the season. Yeah. <laughs> Plus with Michael Penix being hurt, you know, Ty Freifrogel's been – he's been injured. It's just been it, – it's just kind of one of those seasons where you just maybe chalk it up and just say, you know what, it wasn't there. But there's still a talented football team. Like you said, their defense – hasn't had many injuries and they're a talented defense. Um, and I mean, CJ Stroud was just, he was putting some balls in pockets that I didn't think existed. So, I mean, that, that, that was what I took away from this was it wasn't like guys were just completely wide open and running away. He was making passes. Yeah. And that, uh, that's a good point. Cause that takes us to kind of where we were at camp where all of the wide receivers were like, you know, 
CJ Stroud throws one of the best balls we've ever seen. And like, he always gives us a chance. Uh, you know, they're keeping all this praise. And at a certain point, you're like, okay, we just had Justin Fields. Are you just saying this? Cause is it true? Are you just saying this being teammates? And at the beginning of the season, it sounded like they were just saying it being teammates, just trying to hype up their quarterback. But these last few weeks, we're really starting to see it. I mean, uh, I was going to, we were going to talk about it in one of our favorite moments, but you know, we can just bring it up now. I mean, he laid a ball in between three defenders. And it's just like, I don't even know why he thought to do that. Like there was no, like watching the, watching the video, there was nothing to say you should throw the ball here, but he saw, he saw a step. He put the ball exactly where it needed to be right in, right in between three guys for like 15, 20 yards. And uh, those are really kind of the throws. There was a, you know, a couple of tight windows and, you know, our wide receivers made good catches, but one thing that they always like to say about quarterbacks is they put the ball where only their wide receiver can catch it. So we had some diving catches, some stuff like that, but that was him reading the defense. And and like you said, there weren't that many people open. So I have to put this ball low and outside. I have to put it high and outside. I have to put it, you know, in this small window and let the receiver get to it. And he was doing that. I mean, the whole game. Yeah. It's kind of like golf in the sense of you want to learn how to miss right? If you miss it in the right spots, you can get up and down. It's kind of like quarterbacking. If you miss in the right spot, it's where only your receiver can catch the ball or it goes out of bounds or something like that. You don't risk putting yourself in a bad position with an interception. And with these receivers, I mean, there's not many windows to miss into because they're so athletic. And Garrett Wilson's one of the more athletic receivers I've ever seen. And Olave is Olave. So it's, it's nice to see that kind of it seems like and it seems like Stroud's always known that because even when he was missing passes, he wasn't throwing picks. He was he's only throwing yeah. three this year, correct? So it, yep, that's he's something three. he's always been pretty good at. And he's only had one like really really bad pick. I think it was against Tulsa, mm-hmm. where he just didn't read the defense and threw it right to him. A couple of the other ones yeah. were, you know, I mean, you, they're still on his stat line, but they weren't picks where you were just like, oh come on man, what are you doing? You're missing high, you're missing this, so. Um, he, he's been really good, which, uh, I tweeted this, I tweeted this before for some reason, Ohio state is not like a lot of other schools where even though they have this huge social media account, even though they're always, uh, pumping their chest that they get the most interactions, they're never that, that school that really like leads campaigns, uh, for their players to win the Heisman. I mean, it took for Chase Young to have like 15 of his 16 and a half sacks before they started talking about Chase Young for Heisman. But really, I mean, these last these last three games, 14 touchdowns, no interceptions. I think all of his games have been over 70 percent completion percentage. Like, you know, Ohio State really needs to get behind the C.J. Stroud for Heisman. I don't know about you. I know this is a Buckeye podcast, but I'm tired of people talking about Caleb Williams for Heisman. I just don't think you can win Heisman when you play six games. Matt Corral is great, but I I don't think Bryce Young is cool. He's good, but he's at Alabama. But I really don't think there's a quarterback right now playing better than C.J. Stroud. And so, if the if the Buckeye account's not going to do it here at Land Grant Holy Land, I'll I'll at least start it. I'll bite the bullet, start the C.J. Stroud for Heisman talk. Oh, 100 percent. And um, the only quarterback I can think of that might give him a a run, and it's a long shot is Kenny Pickett just because he has 23 touchdowns and one pick and Pittsburgh actually is becoming a legitimate team now. So, but he plays a pit. So it's like, does he actually have the chance to win a Heisman? Who knows? We'll see. But he, he has, a maybe good he stat. should. Yeah. He yeah like should, maybe he should win the Heisman, Heisman but 
he, yeah. he plays that really? pit. So, <laughs> and it's like, and he plays that. Him. Yeah, he plays that pit when um, when Clemson is down bad. Like, it's not like Lamar Jackson at Louisville when I mean they lost a bunch of games, but he was just like an ultra special talent. Pickett is good, but he's kind of just like a, a regular quarterback. And I don't mean that like in a disrespectful way, but it's like Lamar Jackson was something we'd never seen. If you're a regular quarterback and we have a regular quarterback at Ohio State, a regular quarterback at Alabama doing the same thing or the numbers are pretty close, it's going to be hard for you to win it. Like he's not, you know, running for a thousand yards this season, anything like that, even though he is, I mean, he's playing near perfect football. So, Yeah, I remember last year someone was talking about and this was an interesting point I never thought of, and I have no idea if it actually plays a role into the Heisman, but they say when you win the Heisman, can they show a highlight reel that's interesting enough to justify you winning the Heisman? Like Lamar Jackson brings up that point, yes, he was doing spectacular stuff, you know. When it comes to Kenny Pickett, if he's just throwing these slant routes, you know, is it is it is it is it exciting enough to get people yeah. to vote for you for the Heisman and stuff like that? And right now, right now, the it, uh, James Yoder, who if Ohio State fans know that name. He's a notorious Ohio State troll on Twitter. He's a Michigan writer. Um, he said today he thinks the Heisman's down to Trayvon Henderson and, and C.J. Stroud, and it's hard to disagree at this point. Yeah, honestly, the only reason Trayvon Henderson isn't going to win it is because they keep taking him out of game. I mean, it's it's crazy when, you know, they take out the running back before they take out the quarterback. Uh, C.J. Stroud played two drives in the second in the second half. Trevion Henderson didn't touch the ball. I was going through the snap the stats, uh, you know, for this, and I was like, I didn't think he played. And then I looked at it, and he like he didn't touch the ball. He didn't touch the field in the second half. So, and I know that's a little bit like you know they had thought he had a concussion before, and he plays a position where he gets hit a little bit more. But it's just interesting. It's like yeah, you can put the quarterback out there, and it's funny because Stroud got sacked for the first time in the second in the second half. But Henderson, like, literally the only reason I don't think he's going to win the Heisman is because he's not seeing the second half of any of these games. Yeah, and it's the same issue. Um, a couple of quarterbacks have had Alabama, and I think Fields might have had this issue too, was just they're beating yep. teams by so much. They're pulling them so early. Their stats aren't there, you know. So it's, yeah. it's kind of that same situation. And and like you said, you, I know you've tweeted this before, Ohio State just has the wealth of running back is unbelievable. The fact that. Evan Pryor is their fourth best back. And he comes in, and I'm like, this dude could start. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I I hate I hate bringing up, like, players' names and, and, like, negative, but, like, is he better than Mike Weber? I mean, he might be. And Mike Weber was a starting running back here. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of – I won't say everywhere in the country because there are some good, but I think he would start for, you know, eight or nine Big Ten teams, maybe a couple more. I don't think he wouldn't start at Michigan State, maybe not start at Michigan. We haven't seen enough of him. They really like their running backs, but he would start at Wisconsin. He would start at Indiana. He would start at Rutgers, Iowa. Like he would start a lot of places and a lot of places in the country. And he's our fourth running back. Um, the wealth of talent is, is, is ridiculous at Ohio State. Um, so before we get into this game uh, a little bit more, I do have a quick question, though. Do you uh, – this is something I think me and Chris bought into. It would be interesting for your opinion. Do you believe in the uh, the petty Ryan Day hype, or do you think that this was kind of a, a revenge game for Ryan Day? Uh, I think we've seen it a couple of times with Ryan Day where he's he's a little bit more aggressive when he feels slighted, and I'm sure you remember and all of our listeners remember Indiana, uh, you know, 
trying to make sure Ohio State didn't get into the Big Ten championship game, even though they lost to us uh, because of, you know, we lost the game due to COVID. Uh, so do, do you think there was a little bit of revenge in how this game started or do you not buy into the, the Petty Ryan day? So I buy into it halfway because I think all of us have a little bit of petty in us and especially football coaches and especially in that regard. But another thing that I think that we kind of disregard when it comes to teams running up scores is, is something Urban Meyer brought up and, you know, opinions are Urban Meyer aside. I think he, he nailed this one on the head. He said, you know, the college football playoff is set up at this point to where you have to murder teams. You have to go out there and you have to put a 50 and 60 against teams you're supposed to because it factors into you getting in. So Ohio State, it's not that it might be a little bit of pettiness, but I also think they know they have to put up 50 and 60 points whenever they can because when the committee's looking at top four teams, they look at scores and they go, okay, well, Ohio State beat Indiana this. Since you know Cincinnati today, they won, but it wasn't good for their committee. I know you tweeted this about Oklahoma. They won, but this didn't help them get into the playoff, you know. So I no. think that's kind of the situation they tried. Yeah. If Oklahoma, honestly, if you are trailing to Kansas at the half, you shouldn't be able to come out for the second half, but you know, <laughs> all that aside, just, um, just call, just call the game. I right mean, there. that's just, oh, yeah, you shouldn't be able to redeem yourself. But, um, but I think Urban Meyer made a good point of saying like, it is set up to where you have to beat team 63 to nothing and 63 to 10. And I think that's kind of in the, it's not in the front of Ryan Day's head, but I think it's in the back of his mind. Yeah, I think that's the the smart, logical take, and I don't think you're wrong. I, I like to buy into the hype um, just a little bit because it doesn't happen often where you feel slighted, but I remember the Maryland game last year, I think it was, where they were up Maryland and he, kick, sure. he, kicks, Maryland, the, he kicks the onside kick. Um, I don't remember. I'm, I, I keep getting years mixed up. I think he was still offensive coordinator at this point. Um but Michigan with the revenge tour with uh, Chase Winovich, there was definitely a little bit of extra in that game. And then this one in the first, I mean, he calmed down a little bit, but in the first half, there, there seemed to little, be a little bit of extra aggressiveness. So you can let us know, tweet at the account, whether you believe, you know, there's some little petty Ryan Day or if it's really just trying to, um, trying to impress the playoff committee. But at the end of the day, either way, it helps because Ohio State does have one loss in Oregon won again. Um, I think, you know, they may keep winning. They, they seem to be kind of figuring it out. It, it's close losses, which, you know, like the same thing we said about Cincinnati, same thing we said about OU. Uh, it's close games, which is not going to help them in the end. But since they do have that head-to-head loss, Ohio State can't really – Ohio State can't have a close win. Like, they need to blow everybody else out. So when you look at it and you're like, well – yeah, you know, Oklahoma's undefeated or Cincinnati's undefeated and Oregon has that win over them. But if you watch them play, Ohio State's beating everybody by 30. They're definitely one of the four best teams. So, Yeah, and, and when it comes to the playoff, there's always that the, the two conversations of who's best and who's most deserving. And it's just, it, it kind of gets old at, after a certain amount of time because, like you said, Oklahoma can go 13-0-12. I don't care where Oklahoma goes. I don't think they're a top four team in the country. They just haven't done anything to prove they are except for squeak no. out games against Kansas at the end. Okay. Literally. And, and this one, it took a, it took a play that we don't even, we still don't know if it's truly legal for them to, you yeah, know, I, it, I mean, it was a great legal. play. Like, it was, it was, a, it was a good idea. You know, it was smart to, to at least try it. I'm not sure that it's legal. Um, but 
like if again, if you need a play that people aren't sure is legal to beat Kansas, you don't need to be in the playoffs. You don't need to be you don't need to play Georgia. You don't need to play Ohio State. You don't need to play. You don't even need to play Cincinnati. Cincinnati's probably going to beat you. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with that. But just to get into the game a little bit, uh, as we already said, it was 44-7 at half. Uh, at you know, it was it was a really good first half. Um, Stroud was 16 for 21, 201 yards, three touchdowns. Henderson finished the game because he didn't play after halftime, as we already said. Nine rushes for 81 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Rucker, four, four for 45, one touchdown. He finished the game five for 47, two touchdowns. Um, I, I'm guessing I, – I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing you're like me and just like everyone else, uh, you get really excited when they when they use the tight ends, especially because it feels like we've wasted a talent like Rucker. Um, what do you what do you think um, – kind of led to the resurgence. I mean, five catches and two touchdowns, that's that's almost a year's worth of stats for record. What do you think went into getting him involved a little bit more in this game? Yeah, I was on the record train definitely coming into the season because I was like, look, they're going to try to take away Olave and Wilson. There's going to be a lot of options for him. And I think that's kind of what went into today because, remember, Olave didn't get going early at all. He That touchdown kind of opened him up a little bit, but he didn't have a catch to the first I want to say quarter and a half. So I think they were really just focused on – they weren't taking away Wilson at all. He was getting his. But Ruckert was – I think he was kind of – he gets – and he's an amazing talent. I mean, the dude is unbelievable. Yeah. But um, I think he gets it, he gets helped out by when teams try to really lock in on whether it's Olave or Wilson or even Smith and Jigba at this point because um, he's been absolutely fantastic too. Um, and then Ruckert – and then you just have to – kind of, I don't want to say tell your quarterback to throw it to record, but it's like, look, we have a, we have a tight end that is a five-star, that is a guy who can make one-handed catches in the Big Ten championship game and help them win games. Like, give them the ball. Yeah, no, I, I actually do think you have to tell them to, to get it to them because a lot of our quarterbacks are, are too um, aggressive. I think that's one of the biggest changes with this offense and last year's offense. Uh, Justin Fields' arm was so ridiculous that Ryan Day just refused to help him out. I mean, he went the whole season, and there was maybe two checkdowns and however many pass attempts. Every pass was – I mean, his checkdown was a deep out. It was like, we're going to go deep, we're going to run a post, and then your check down is going to be a 30-yard throw across the field for a deep out. And so Rutgers not running, uh, you know, 15-yard deep outs. And so I think Ryan Day has started to realize that a little bit. I think with the type of quarterback that C.J. Stroud is, uh, he's more uh, willing to, to kind of take some of those short ones because he's a guy – I mean, he's a great quarterback, but – he doesn't have Justin Fields' arm talent, so it's like he's a guy that kind of has to bait the defense in a little bit. You wanna you wanna take some of those short ones, get in rhythm, and then hit the long ones where they're there. Where Justin Fields, it could be the first play of the game, and he's gonna hit a sixty yard post route for a touchdown uh, off a of warm up. Just walk out there and just throw it. So I think that I definitely think that helps. Um, I hope you know they use him a little bit more because I mean Rutgers has been a team player, man. Like he, if he, I mean if you think of like. If Ruckert was at Notre Dame or if he was at Iowa, the way that they would use him, he might be a first round tight end. Like he would, I mean, those two schools have had some crazy tight ends and he might even still break some of those records. Like he's that kind of guy. And for him to be here for so long and 
never complain about blocking, never complain about finishing a season with 10 catches and two touchdowns, even though he's wide open and, and really doing a lot of that dirty work. I hope that, you know, I mean, it's not going to be a, you know, 40 catch, 10 touchdown type of year, but I mean, four, three, three to five catches a game, get him a touchdown every once in a while. It'd be great for him to end his career on a high note. And I think he's going to be one of those guys. I think, you know, this is a, a hard comparison because of how good he was, but I think he's like a Michael Thomas type guy where it's like he wasn't always used correctly at Ohio State, but he's going to go to the league and uh, kind of take over a little bit. I could see him being, you know, it's it's hard to compare people to, to some of the greats, but I could see him being like a George Kittle type because he can block and he can catch. Uh, and if he goes to the right team, uh, a team that uses tight ends the right way, I think he's going to have a, a really good career. So it was fun watching him get into the game plan a little bit and uh, get a couple of touchdowns. Yeah, and Kittle is the one that stands out as like a good comparison because, like you said, if he was at an Iowa or Notre Dame where they utilize those guys, there's really no huge difference between the two. Kittle might be a little bit faster. But I think something that's kind of kept record maybe involved is the fact that in big games – they tend to utilize him. That two years ago against Wisconsin, he had two touchdowns. Last year against Clemson, he had two touchdowns in the in the playoff semifinal. So it seems like in the big moments, he he tends to stand out, which also is you know shows he's talented. You know, talented guys stand out in big moments. But the fact that Ohio State's been able to get him kind of involved in those moments is maybe why he's hung around. Yeah, I I could see that, especially because it's like yeah, you don't use him on a daily basis, but. I think that shows – I think that's a perfect point because it shows how much they value him for them to be like, yeah, I mean, we haven't used you all year, but we need this touchdown. We absolutely need this touchdown right now. We're, we're calling your number. And and my and from my memory, he's never let us down. I don't think he's ever dropped a, a pass when we really needed it. Um, there have been, you know, as with every player – there have been the occasional drop passes, that kind of stuff, but he never seems to miss a block when you really need a, a big run play. He never seems to drop a pass when you really need him to. And so Ohio State knows that. And so I think he knows kind of like what you're saying, that they may not uh, they may not use me often with all this talent, but, you know, he's still a part of the, uh, the game plan. Yeah, and, and that Wisconsin uh, game, you know, everybody remembers the catch because of how exciting the catch itself was, the one-handed catch kind of over his shoulder. But that game, they were losing when he made that catch. So it also comes into just like like you said, he is in the, in the Clemson game, he had two touchdowns back-to-back. It was before that game really – before Fields, I would say, really got into his bag. And, um, you know, like you said, he just kind of tends to show up in the big moments. And I think that just – it's a testament to, one, how good he is, and two – why he he probably feels still I guess valued is the best way to put it because guys transfer because they don't feel valued. Yeah, that's facts, and I think that's uh I think that's why Ohio State fans like me and you and really all of Land Grant Holy Land and probably a lot of people that listen to the podcast value him. And it's funny because it's like he's probably you know some people's favorite Buckeyes or he's up there and his production doesn't match. You know what I mean? But the way he's viewed you would think he was a, a Chris Olave or like a Garrett Wilson type of guy, but um, you know, he's viewed with so much like respect and everything because exactly, you know, like what we've been talking about, he, he never complains. He makes a big block. He makes a big catch. He doesn't drop the pass. Uh, he's a complete tight end. And, um, 
it would be, you know, it'd be great to use him more. I, I wish we would use him more, but, you know, it's kind of hard when you have a roster full of first round wide receivers and a running back who may be the best running back in the school's history by the time he's done. Yeah, which is a pretty insane thing to say just because there's been a lot of really good ones, a lot of even like recently really good ones, but then you look in the history and it's insane. But it's also not insane to say he might be the best one of them all. I mean, he's he he's, he's he, he it's insane to say he's exceeded expectations because he came in with the highest they could possibly be, but he's already exceeded them. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, no, I um I don't get it. Because it's like, you know, we kind of had a, a dip in running back recruiting, um, which, which is something me and Chris talk about often because everyone wonders, like, why was Steel Chambers not at, running, not at linebackers? Because we really needed um, we really needed running backs. We, you look at, you know, the one running back in the country that people say may be better than Travion Henderson is B. John Robinson, and we really wanted him and didn't get him. And so we got Chavion Henderson right after losing B. John Robinson. And like you said, his expectations were sky high. Uh, it's rare for people to assume a freshman's going to start. And just about everyone you asked was like, he's either going to be the starter from day one or he's going to be starter by midseason. Like, you know, the expectations were out the roof. And then he, he's come in and he's exceeded them really blew him out the water. I mean, he's going to, he's going to put the, as long as he doesn't get injured, uh, there's five games left and even more. If you count, I can't, I, I never remember if Ohio state actually only counts regular season stats or if they count like big 10 championship games and all that other kind of stuff. But if we get to the national championship, that's like seven games left and he needs like three or four touchdowns to break, break Maurice Corrette's, um, freshman record he's had a touchdown in every single game I think he has 14 13 or 14 now um so it's just like the 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 expectations are out of the water and it's just like like we talked about he had eight carries like what are we what is what's going to happen when they get into a game where either because the importance of the game they just don't pull them or because we need them what is it going to look like then if you give him 15 carries you give him 20 carries how many touchdowns is he going to have he has three touchdowns today in the first half on eight carries and one or two receptions yeah and Maurice Claret tweeted during the game that is he was like yeah that record's gone because uh, he just, he knows that you know he might as well have it while he can because that thing's that thing's looking like it's in dire straits right now. But yeah, that yeah, that uh, awesome. that that record's gone. Um, one of the interesting things, and um, I don't know how I don't know how old you are, but I don't really remember Reggie Bush. Like I was alive with Reggie Bush, but like I don't really really remember it as some people do. And like I was just watching him play, and I'm just like, man, like is this what it felt like to watch Reggie Bush? Like is this what it felt like to just watch a running back that was so much better than everyone else when he stepped on the field? And Reggie Bush was ahead of his time, so you know I'm not ready to say that he's better than Reggie Bush because we don't know what Reggie Bush would have looked like in this era. Uh, Reggie Bush was way ahead of his time, but I mean it, to me it's just like. This has to be what it felt like to watch Reggie Bush, to know when he got the ball, he was a walking touchdown. And he was going to, every time he got the ball, he was going to do something to amaze you. 
Yeah, and I think it's it's fitting that I'm on this podcast because I I grew up in Maryland and Reggie Bush obviously played football at U, USC. I would stay up. I'm 25, so when Reggie Bush was at USC, I was about 10 or 11. Um, I would stay up till one in the morning just to watch Reggie Bush. It's the sole purpose. That was it, just to watch USC that night play whoever the whoever the hell they were about to beat the hell out of, just so Reggie, just to watch Reggie Bush and. It, it like Reggie Bush is the greatest football probably or maybe at least the most exciting football player I've watched personally. I'm sure people that are older will be like, "Whoa!" But I've watched personally. <laughs> so I'm talking about you know I'm 25, so don't start talking about like people that I don't even I've never even heard of. Um, <laughs> but Reggie Bush is like the most exciting player I've ever. He would take the ball. It's it's and it's like you said, it's it is like Trayvon Henderson. It's watching somebody who somehow is better than every single person on the field. And the only difference is, like, when Reggie Bush was doing at USC, the Pac-12 wasn't – well, I would say it wasn't what it is today, but the Pac-12 sucks today, so it is what it was today. Um, <laughs> but he was playing you know, the Fresno State, the Fresno States of the world, Notre Dame when they were kind of in a weird little kind of in-between of, like, Brady Quinn. Um, he, was pl- he wasn't playing these great teams. Trayvon Henderson is going up against some pretty good defenses, at least – decent defenses so far I guess we're gonna have to see when he gets up against you know the elite defenses I don't think it will change personally because he just looks that good but um but yeah it is I I do compare to to kind of watching Reggie Bush and um they're they're different backs in the way they run I mean Reggie Bush looked like a track star that just knew how to carry a football but yeah (laughs) um Travion Henderson I like the comparison of kind of not not quite as athletic as Reggie Bush, may, maybe just as fast. I don't know. Reggie Bush was super fast, but he ran different, so it was hard to tell. But um, yeah, but but definitely. I mean, one of the greatest games I've ever watched was Reggie Bush against Fresno State in 2006. If you've never seen it, you please look at it. It's he had like 300 yards rushing. It was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Um, and I'm sure Trayvon Henderson is due for one of those kind of games. Like you said, if you give him 20 20 carries, you know what's he going to do? <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, he had not. I looked. I looked it up. He had three touchdowns and nine total touches. He had eight. He well, ten. I'm sorry. <laughs> he had nine rushes, one catch, three touchdowns, and ten total touches. That's the. It's it's That's like the stupidest team. thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, and so um, I, I I'm 26, but I was not allowed to stay up to watch Reggie Bush. So I remember him. I was obviously old enough to to have the memories. I remember some things, but you know I didn't get to see him as much as obviously as an adult. I'm seeing Trayvon Henderson. Um, but even still, even if he's not as good as Reggie Bush, which is fine because, like you said, Reggie Bush may be the greatest college football player of all time. The fact that we can com- confidently say, you know seven games into his career that he gives us a feeling that reminds us of Reggie Bush is enough. Cause you don't say that about anybody. Like that is uh, Reggie Bush is a name. You don't just bring up. That's like, you know, in the NFL, you don't just compare people to Peyton Manning. You don't just compare people to Tom Brady um, because of what they've done. So I don't know, but uh, Travion Henderson looks amazing. Um, So we're we're thirty minutes into this and, and we should start wrapping up soon, but we haven't talked we haven't talked about the defense at all. Um, 
I have no idea where this defense came from. Uh, before we even before we even get into the, the entire performance, what what was your thoughts and what did you think after the first drive? I think Indiana was like 15 plays, 75 yards, five minutes off the clock. They, they score a touchdown. Um, what what were you thinking the game was going to look like after that first drive by Indiana? Yeah, after I'm, I'm sitting in my desk chair right now and I was watching the game in the same chair. And after Indiana scored, after watching Ohio State walk down the field and score, and then watching Indiana walk down the field and score, I just kind of leaned back in my chair and I just kind of smiled. I was like, all right, it's going to be one of those games. It's going to be 56 to 42, <laughs> you know. But um, but then then they locked up. And remember last year, it was last year, right? COVID year? Yeah, last year was the year where, you know, Indiana made this defense look like Swiss cheese. And Michael Penix was out doing everything and anything possible. And they only won because they had a good offensive game. But um, so, you know, Indiana is a team that, and again, it's not the Indiana that we thought we were going to get, but Jack Tuttle is a competent quarterback. Um, he was sure recruited by Ohio State, but as Jack they Tuttle's like to say on all the broadcast. Yeah, <laughs> I think they, they use that word a little loosely sometimes, but he was. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, it look just looking at the, the Indiana team, you know, they still have Stephen Carr, who's a good running back. And I think I looked at halftime, he had seven carries for 11 yards or something like that. Um, so they, they were able to really kind of stifle them. And, and that was something that was exciting because, yeah, I mean, it, look, if this defense is just average, this is a championship caliber team because the, if the offense will score 30 points, all you got to do is make sure the other team doesn't score 30 points. That's, I mean, it's just that simple at this point. Yeah. I mean, everyone talks about LSU. They did not have a good defense. Um, almost every single game with LSU was a shootout. Um, Alabama last year, their defense was slightly better than um, LSU, but they didn't have a good defense. And Alabama doesn't have a good defense this year. And they don't, they don't, they don't get talked about as much as Ohio State's did. But their defense may be worse than ours. Um, they have some more impact players, like they have, some, like they have Will Anderson, like we know his name. But their secondary is is trash. Um, the game looks like a blowout now, but up until the fourth quarter, Tennessee was seven points down and was throwing 60-yard touchdowns against Alabama. So um, this offense is is good enough to win a national championship. I would argue that this defense is better than last year's Alabama's, and it's definitely better than um, two years ago LSU. So, you know, if they can, like you said, if they can be average or slightly above average, this is a championship team. And – because ultimately you have to be able to score with them and all you need is the defense to be able to make a play. And we weren't getting sacks for a while, but we had four straight games where the defense, you know, got us, uh, got us some points with interception returns or fumble returns. We've had five out of seven games where we've had a defensive player score a touchdown. Cause in the first game it was a uh, Haskell Garrett. So when you think of, you know, the long game, you think of playing Michigan or you think of, you know, playing whoever comes out the West, you think of the playoffs, potentially playing Georgia. If the defense can get one or two stops, that may be all you need, especially if one of those stops comes with some points, comes with great field position, comes with a pick, uh, a pick six, fumble return for a touchdown, something like that. Um, not to mention the threat that Emeka Egbuka is. On kickoff returns, um, that kind of field position, winning that battle, he's going to he's gonna 
you know, return one at some point. And maybe he saves that for the playoffs. Maybe he saves that for a national championship game if we get there. So th- this team has a lot with this defense um, kind of stepping up. And I think, you know, I felt the same. I was like, oh, man, like, this looks bad. But I was trying to, like, you know, be calm and just be all right. So it's one drive. This looks like Indiana scripted the perfect drive. They made some great plays. Um when we had some pressure, we had two sacks in the first drive. And, and that's just kind of stuff that like in a normal game, if you have two sacks on a drive, the, the other team doesn't score. So it's just like, I don't think maybe this is stuff that's not sustainable. Um, we don't know exactly how it would have looked if Jack Tuttle didn't get hurt. I don't, I still don't think they would have drove all the way like that, but maybe they would have been more of a threat. But I mean, they ended the game with 128 total yards of offense 75 of those yards came on the first drive up into the fourth quarter when they had in the backups of the backups, Indiana was held under a hundred yards of total offense. Yeah. This defense I mean, it, played great. You know, people talk about it. People talk about, like you said, is those LSU teams and those Alabama teams. Remember two years ago with LSU, they had literally maybe the best offense of all time. I just said literally maybe. But they had one of the best <laughs> offenses of all time, statistically the best. And it took until like week nine before people were going, oh, okay, this team might be legit because the defense was that bad. You know, in yeah. Alabama, like you said, this year, I, I just watched the Tennessee game. They had a play up two touchdowns where the corner was just not watching the he was just not watching the play. He was looking at the sideline. They're just they're not a they're not the disciplined team you expect to see. And I think that's the thing that I've seen from Ohio State is Throughout each game, they become more and more disciplined. And look, I don't need you to be perfect on the first drive. That's how. That's not. That's not. That's just not how first drives go. I need to see how do you adjust. And the best way you just put it, they seventy five of their a hundred their first three quarter yards came on the first drive. That's how you adjust, and that's how you make changes. And I think that was the biggest thing we saw when they moved Kerry Coombs kind of out of the play calling and put Matt Barnes up there was. They're adjusting in game better, and that is that's the biggest thing because, like you said, you're not going to be perfect to start, but you need to be perfect come fourth quarter, and that's what they've been doing. Yeah, and I mean, when was it? Is it was 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 it Rutgers? I think it was Rutgers. And so we've gone two straight games without allowing a big play, and then in Rutgers and, and Rutgers, they one of their only touchdowns was like a, they just made a mistake, scored a touchdown. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like the defense is, is continually improving. Like you said, they're more disciplined. The adjustments are there. Uh, I talked about with Chris, they never get beat with the same thing twice, it seems. And, I mean, five they had five sacks and 14 tackles for a loss. I, I don't know where this defense was, but that's a, that is a crazy stat. Um, five sacks, 14 tackles for a loss. They were all over the place. Um you know, linebackers were making plays. I mean, even Tommy Eichenberg was making tackles in the backfield. Like, Lathan Ransom had a tackle for a loss. Like, if those two guys are playing well, it's like, all right, come on. Like, this is starting to get unfair. Um, I don't mean, I don't mean the crap on them, but, like, we've seen them for seven games. Like, they were not good. Um, really, the only one on the defense that didn't have a great game was Cody Simon. Uh, he, you know, had a had a couple of missed tackles, allowed a touchdown. He allowed the only touchdown. Uh, he just didn't guard the tight end. Um, he 
you know, allowed a, a first down and a long pickup on a like a second and long, something like that, just kind of missing some tackles. But everyone else on the defense played good. Still, Chambers is still has one or two plays where he just flashes. Even Zach, I mean, Zach Harrison was getting sacks, uh, which we haven't seen in a while. Uh, Jerron Cage was getting back there. So, sure, you don't expect five sacks, 14 tackles for a loss every single game. But if we can get this kind of pressure, um, if we can make quarterbacks uncomfortable, um, this is going to – a game like this, your defense is not average. Like this this defense did not look average. So if they can play like this, I'm ready to say Ohio State's winning the national championship. Even if they regress a little bit to average, the offense is enough to carry them. But these last couple of weeks, the offense hasn't been carrying them. The defense has played well. And in the last three games, the defense has given – up less and less points. I mean, seven. They gave up seven points. That means they didn't get they didn't get close enough for a field goal. There was no broken plays, no special teams touchdowns. Uh, that's a very disciplined, very um, strong performance. And I think Matt Barnes and that whole staff uh, needs credit, especially. And I, for one, need to give them credit because I've been very hard on them because I'm a defensive guy and I wanted to see more. And this is encouraging. It's like literally every single performance, they get better. You know, a lot of people talked about their score predictions for this game. It was 17. It was, it was you know, 50 to 17, 50 to 24, stuff like that. Like no one thought that we were going to shut them down. And seven points, you you only score on your first drive and, and you don't do anything else the rest of the game. That's That's shutting them down by my definition. Yeah, and I think it's the perfect game heading into Penn State. Because obviously the Penn State game doesn't have the buzz it was going to have because Penn State has completely lost track of their season. But Penn State still has some weapons. They still have, in my opinion, a top three receiver in the country in Jahan Dotson. And they still have guys like guys that can get open, guys that can make plays. So you have to get pressure on Sean Clifford. And I don't know if you watched the Illinois game. I, I didn't because I had to. So, <laughs> yeah, it was, oh, boy. But Sean Clifford is still very clearly hurt. He's not healthy. So yeah. he's going to be a little jittery back there. He's going to probably leave the pocket more than he should and do the things that hurt quarterbacks do because they don't want to get hit as much. Um, and th- he, if they can get pressure on him, they're going to make life very hard for Penn State. But if they can't, if they struggle like they did it in earlier in the season to get to the quarterback and they just let him sit back there with a clean pocket, he has receivers that will get open. Um, and, and specifically John Dotson, who we saw tear up Ohio State last year and tear up, um, you know, an NFL corner in Sean Ward, not NFL corner, but NFL player in yeah. Sean Ward and yeah. Sean Wade, sorry, Sean Wade. But um, so it'll be they need to get pressure on Clifford next week. Yeah, I think that's a perfect point as we start to wrap up, because we saw that against Iowa and Iowa has a better defense than us. And mm-hmm. he threw two interceptions because he just kind of threw some like. I don't even arm punts. I don't even know why he threw them, but he was moving the ball against Iowa. Uh, he was finding spots in some zone, which we've been playing a lot of zone. Iowa wasn't getting pressure on him. And until he got injured, I, I mean, they would have won that game if he was playing. And so we know I'm on the record that Sean Clifford is not a good quarterback, but he's good enough, especially if your defense is bad, if you're going to let him run around, if you're going to let him sit back there in the pocket, like you said. So this is a good performance. Um, where the defense can kind of, you know, it's all about confidence for the defense. And and this confidence allows them, if they do get into a game, say it's Penn State, maybe it's Michigan State, maybe it's Michigan, whoever it is, if they do get into a game where teams are scoring on them and they're struggling a little bit, they're going to have all of this confidence to say, we've done this before, let's just lock in. 
Uh, sure, they have two or three touchdowns on us. Sure, the game is a back and forth, but like we know we can stop them because we've done it for four or five straight games. And I think that's the most important part. And, you know, I am i don't think this defense is good enough to shut out everybody or, or shut down everyone. So I do think there's going to be a game, you know, where we, we need them to get a stop. And, and so this confidence of going against these guys, um, playing so well these past four games, really, you know, getting the most out of these adjustments, getting players into the right position, it, it's going to be helpful when we get into a tough spot. Yeah, my uh, my best friend growing up went to Penn State, and I used to, and I talked to him one time like two years ago about because Sean Clifford and KJ Hamler are notorious like best friends. They've been best friends for a long time, and uh, he told me, kind of to your Sean Clifford point, he told me, of course they're best friends. KJ Hamler makes him look good, so that's kind <laughs> of how Sean Clifford is. He's not a bad, he's not terrible. He can get the job done, but he's not going to be out here slinging the ball around for four hundred yards for five touchdowns to win you a game. It's just not, especially right. hurt. Um, I mean that that Philly special they tried to run. He, I that looked like me. They were trying to catch him. That was horrible. <laughs> that was so bad. Yeah. So he's just Honestly. you know if you can get some pressure on this dude, he he's clearly not healthy. And their backup Roberson, I don't know a lot about him, but he's clearly just not ready. So they kind of no. have they're in a weird little spot right now at Penn State. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. I, I actually tweeted it that I think he played a game too early and there's a chance he doesn't play against Ohio State because he could have re-aggravated what hurt him. I mean, if he played this game, you kind of expect him to play against us, but he didn't look like he should have been out there. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, so as we uh, wrap up, we're over 45 minutes. Ultimately, this was a great game by Ohio State. Uh, they keep showcasing that they're one of the best teams in the country. Uh, honestly, you know, uh, getting close to saying that they're the best team in the country because ultimately they're, you know, Ari Wasserman said this, some other people have said it, their defense just has to be as good or better than Georgia's offense. Uh, and if they can get to that point and it's looking like they're at that point, there's there's no reason why I wouldn't say that they're the best team in the country. Um it's some fool's gold a little bit. You know, the Big Ten East is is starting to crumble and some of these teams people are finally realizing aren't top 10 teams, but they're still ranked teams. They're still ranked win. They're still Big Ten teams. So Ohio State's going to get some credit for that. So as we uh, as we wrap up, before we talk about what's next, um, do you have any last thoughts, um, whether it's about the, the um, about the game, favorite plays, player of the game, anything like that? Any final thoughts? Um, I think it's just throughout the, you know, it's all about when you lose in college football, if you do lose and Ohio state lost at a good time, they lost early. They've had a chance to kind of really reprove themselves. And I think they've done that. you know, at the end of the day, like you said about Georgia, you just have to look better than their offense. And I trust this defense against a dude named Stetson. So we should be good. (laughs) Hey, that's all that matters. So next week we have uh, Ohio State versus Penn State, another night game. It's in the shoe. And on behalf of my normal co-host, Chris, if you go to the game, please make sure you wear Scarlet. Um, it is a Scarlet out. Scarlet is the easiest color to wear for Ohio State because it's what almost 85% of their clothes come in. You know, maybe you're too lazy to buy white for a white out. Maybe you're too lazy to buy black for a black out. Everyone has a Scarlet Ohio State shirt. Don't embarrass us. If you're going to go to the game, wear Scarlet. 
let's have a great atmosphere and, and let's get a dub against Penn State as we continue to wrap out this season. Um, and, and with that, that, that's all we have for our instant recap. Ohio State looked dominant, and uh, we'll see you next week. Go Bucks.